If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. What we think we can do and what we're capable of, you can't even see the end points there because everybody wants to put a cap on themselves. Originally, everyone hates themselves. If you're listening now, guys, and you don't think you're good enough, you don't think you can achieve, you don't think you can be a success, and you're a little bit depressed and having a problem with drink, let me tell you something, guys. I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down. Your host, Jason Lachance, with a background of alcoholism, some childhood trauma, including mental and sexual abuse, and my co-host, Mikey Naraki, over there. What is going on, everybody? Hey, he's, uh, you know, well, he's had some issues as well. Yeah, I've been busted a time or two. What are you going to do? Uh, plus, uh, struggles with uh, anxiety, but hey, who isn't right now in this day and age? I'll tell you what, man, that, you know, mental health is going off, but, you know, things are lifting right now, so... And you can get out a little bit more. You yeah. Know, not wear the mask as much if you don't want to, or at all as of June 15th. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, our guest today, he is phenomenal, Dr. Rob Kelly. This is one you want to pass along to as many people as possible. I just know you're going to get a lot out of it. Let me tell you something. All of our guests are amazing. I know Jason would agree, but this guy, he really, I don't know. There's something about him. He, he he's he's an incredible person, incredible talker. He's just overall incredible guest. And yeah, this this is definitely one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. On another level. Well, Dr. Rob Kelly, not only will he tell you his insane story of alcoholism growing up uh, in England and also uh, having a family lineage of addiction, but being at a very young age, 15 years old, studio musician, playing with the likes of David Bowie, uh, Freddie Mercury, and Elton John. <laughs> Plus, how uh, he hit what we would call a rock bottom, turned his life completely around from living homeless to now helping change lives. He's actually got a slight responsible uh, place in this world for the Marvel Universe, let alone the Iron Man movie. You'll hear more about that in the interview. Yeah, you're welcome, Marvel fans. And of course, we can't do any of this without 5150 LTM. What's the code, Jason? Well, of course, you can use the code KDD20 at checkout. Get the same swag that Mikey and I wear. That's KDD20 at checkout and uh, get geared out with 5150. You see it on our social media accounts, which is at Knocking Doors Down on Facebook and Instagram. Twitter is at KDD Media Company. So uh, get yourself swagged out with 20% off. Give me that code one more time. KDD20. That's KDD20. Sick. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add the Knockin' Doors Down podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. This episode of Knockin' Doors Down is brought to you by Manscaped. 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com and use the code KDD. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, Dr. Robert Kelly. How are you doing, good sir? Doing good, man. Ready for this deal. How are you guys? Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream. Yes, Living that's what we're doing. Living the dream. Absolutely. Uh, well, shit, it's good to talk with you. I mean, uh, I always love anyone that's, uh, you know, out there ending the stigma when it surrounds uh, addiction. Uh, you know, you're an author. Uh, just the longevity of it. Uh, but we were talking a little bit off here. You were uh, born in Manchester, but now you're living in the States. What uh, brought the transition to the States? I actually came over for two weeks to Dallas, Texas, uh, doing a two-week uh, seminars and, and uh, talking with a huge church over there uh, with the youth ministry. had a lot of cocaine problems in Plano, which is one of the most affluent uh, places in, in America at one time, you know, about 15 years ago. Mm. So I came over, and there's so much craziness to my life. You know, if there's a God up there or universe, somebody's looking after me because when I got off the plane at DFW, I knew I was never going back home. Now, I had two weeks worth of clothes, two weeks worth of money. You know, I've got my car and my flat apartment back at home. So there was always a chance of me going back. But as soon as I stepped off, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I need to be here. Wow. And that was it. That is awesome. Just had that calling. I think so. Yeah. I mean, when I had a spiritual awakening after being homeless, um, I heard God say to me that guarantee people can recover because the way I got this deal was just crazy by a man I could never find. And uh, I'm going to send you far away from your hometown is what I heard. Huh. So I'm four and a half thousand miles away from uh, from Manchester. I'm six and a half thousand patients down the line with a 97 to 100 percent success record. Wow. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Um, but I am a concierge doctor. We don't just take on anybody. We, we uh, you know, I'm talking about neuroplasticity, uh, neural pathways and mm. uh, brain change and body change and stuff like that. So I've, I've delved into the brain and alcoholism like nobody else has. And the reason why I haven't nobody else has is because there's no money in research. There's no money in recovery right. as a whole. There's a great bunch of treatment centers around and you guys and people like you are in this for the right reason. But you know, when little Johnny's paying $30,000 for his fourth time in the same treatment center, where the fuck is your buying, guys? Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm the only company in the world that offers a money-back guarantee. And I'm the only company in the world that will see you for 30 minutes every month when you leave me for the rest of your life free of charge. These are the things I, I, I back my, my mouth up with is, yeah, if I can't do it, I'll refund you. Or if I can't do it, I won't take you on because I'm sick to death of people watching people die in and outside the fucking rooms when people don't know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. it's okay, Johnny. That's See, in my, some of the meetings I used to go to, go, hey, Rob, little Johnny's had a relapse. Can you get him a cup of coffee? Fuck no, I can't get him a cup of coffee. Why aren't you, John, on the same program that got me to a different place? Yeah. How many fucking silver chips do you want? You know, that's me. Because I, I live out loud, I'm bordering on aggressive, I have fun, I'm very passionate, and I answer to nobody. You know, and, and I say things that other people are thinking and I'm, and I'm OK. Yeah. And, and treatment centers don't like me, but fuck, I don't like them either. So <laughs> you know? I'm in this because of one reason, and that's because uh, I lost my kids due to this. I lost my wife due to this. Yeah. I lost my mom due to this um, or this disease and thousands of friends. And uh, I was just I was just an, I, I, when I went to the doctor, it was like, oh, 
go to uh, go to AA. And I'm like, how long have you fucking trained for? Like 22 years to become an MD in England? You told me to go to, what, what don't you know about my disease? Oh, we're baffled. And that's why I went into studying the brain regarding addiction. You know what, Rob? I like you. I like your, <laughs> I like your passion. Yeah. I like your fire. I dig it, I'm man. And I love the accent too. I, I, Thank I, you, man. I fucking like you, man. This is yeah. well, Mikey. Yeah, keep in mind, we got an accent to him too. You're right. We sound funny. Yes. not funny, but yours sounds great. But we sound different to you as well. You know what? Really I love the accent, man. I what, dig it. What really stood out to me there too, and although I never went to rehab, and my dad, because I have a lineage too, which I want to ask a little bit more about with you uh, of a but Mikey experienced rehab mm -hmm. and you nailed it. Some of them, a total shit show that doesn't help anyone but them. So what are some of the things because uh, we, and I want to get into, you know, what your doctorate is in, but you brought up, you know, neuropsychology and other areas that we really haven't talked with anyone about that I'm really fascinated in. The problem, the problem with treatment centers, and I'm not, I'm not casting everyone the same guys for anyone's out there thinking, you know, who does he think he is? I'm fucking Dr. Rob Kelly. That's why I'm for a start. Let's get that sorted out. Mm -hmm. You know, I stand proud about that. This isn't ego, guys. This is confidence beating up over 28, 29, 30 years of being beaten down all my life. So this is confidence. But most people I've come across in treatment centers have marketing people, mm -hmm. or let's let's call it right. They have salespeople. And that they have to bring a certain amount of people into the treatment center. And if they don't, they get fired and they move on to another treatment center. Mm -hmm. What the fuck's that all about? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. supposed to be a healthcare. No, yeah. you know, it's crazy out because the healthcare stops the insurance. If you're going to take one into your treatment center, treat them the right thing. Everyone's concentrating on the alcohol and the drugs. Let me tell you guys, listen at home, alcohol and drugs has got very, very, very little to do with alcoholism and addiction. Believe me, we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. So, if you're always talking about relapse prevention, don't drink alcohol, stay away from alcohol. When you're alcohol, it's gonna, I'm gonna think about alcohol. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I'll put it one thing now everybody listening at home and you two guys, right now, I do not want you to think of an elephant. There you go. You've got one. <laughs> that's, how, that's how our brain works. It's like if we're always talking about the symptom, and not the disease, the illness, which is the brain disease, followed by the, the physical allergy, which I have because the, the uh, especially alcohol, I'm not a drug addict, I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So the ethanol in alcohol reacts to my brain mm -hmm. and it's hereditary and, and uh, it's a predisposition. So you can't drink yourself into becoming an alcoholic. There's another breath another myth and alcohol doesn't kill brain cells there's another myth so all this shit's flying around and poor parents don't know what to do so they're buying into this shit when somebody says oh come in come in and i know the tricks they play i've seen it oh it's a hundred dollars for detox and then all of a sudden when you ask you to stay another six months and you don't they stick you with a five hundred thousand dollar detox bill come on there's got to be people right. out there who's doing this right and one of the reasons I came on the show today is because you and the guys you're surrounded by and my guys, we're all doing the right thing here, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I get to pick and choose where I go and who I speak and all that crap today. Cause I, cause that's just it. Yeah. You know, but, um, just, just speaking to you, doing some research on your guys. And it's funny because Courtney, Courtney always calls me if I need to do something because most podcasts gets canceled. I have, I'm a concierge doctor with four patients today. I'm 22 because of the backlog of COVID. So I'm mm. just massively busy. Connie gets on, you've got to do this show. I'm like, yeah, you've got to do this show. These guys are like you. So that's that's what brought me. I was excited when, when, I, when I researched you and I was excited to come on here because I think we're on the same page, but I don't know, man. It, it's been a lonely 
long suffering through the red tape kind of journey for me because I have something that works as well as many people that work, but nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to hear my evidence-based research on 7.3 seconds, which can change an alcoholic's life. Mm -hmm. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to hear it, mm -hmm. you know, because there's no money in recovery. Right. It's like the guy that invented the water car and two months later, he's dead. You know, people don't want to hear it because you're going to mess a multi-billion dollar company here with what you say. So be quiet, Rob, whatever you do. Yeah. You know what I like about that, Rob, is um, I, I like your passion behind it because when Jason and I talk about the rehab facility that I went to, he can speak for me as well. I get worked up. I get pissed off because I feel like the way they went about it, like they didn't they didn't get me off cocaine. My mom's no. the one who got me off cocaine because I'm a huge yeah. mama's boy. And when she told me the story that she did, that's what made me stop. I have... I had so much resentment towards my rehab because everything we did had nothing to do with recovery. We weren't allowed to talk about our past. We weren't allowed to cuss. We weren't allowed to do this and that. And we did chores all day and read the Bible. I believe in God. That's fine. I have no problem reading the Bible, but I believe there's more to getting sober than praying. Like, yes, pray. I'm not saying don't pray. I believe in God, so I do pray. However, there's more to it than that. You have to want to get sober and stay sober. So that's why I had so much resentment towards the rehab. So when you're saying what you are as far as giving people their money back or you won't take them on if you don't feel like you yeah. can help them, I commend you for that. Well done. And there needs to be more people like you. Yeah, fuck well, yeah. I, I was the guy that turned Britney Spears down in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. We closed down Camp Campisi's restaurant. And she came in, supposed to come at 12. She came in at one, she was drunk. I stood up and Jamie, her dad stood up and said, Rob, and I said, I can't work with her. And he said, guys, and I quote, I will give you a check and you can write a million dollars on it right now, Dr. Rob, please don't go. And I said, I'm sorry, Jamie. And I didn't know the guy. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Jamie, but I can't stay. And I went to get up and the big black bodyguard stood up and he kind of looked at me and I said, what the fuck are you gonna do, sit down? Because I was adamant <laughs> and angry by then. So he said, because I'm a big guy, I'm 285 X bodybuilder. I don't take any shit off anybody. Mm -hmm. And he sat down, but people go to, are you crazy? You, I mean, this was 50, 14, 15 years ago, guys, right. when a million dollars was a million dollars, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and I hate to say that, but it's true. No, you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> if I can't help you guys, I can't help you. You know, I don't get involved with the money and the finance. I don't get involved with the stuff. I get, this is my payout. When, and when mom and dad call me and the mom's in tears and they go, Dr. Rob, we don't know what you've done, but we've got our son back. Bang! There's my payment in full. And I've heard that six and a half thousand times because this isn't a job, guys. This is a passion. Yeah. I want to shake America and go like, guys, there's a lot of crazy guys out there who are charging crazy money for nothing mm -hmm. because nobody has the answers that we need. You see, I used to go in and say, guys, I know what the problem is. Does anybody have the solution? And people go, oh, we'll just, you know, just keep coming back. You'll, be, you'll get it by osmosis. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah. No, you'll get it by changing your pathways, changing behavior, getting a routine in your life, having a spiritual life, not a God or religious life, a spiritual life and getting your shit out there and get, get your life back. You know, if you want to be a, a fucking millionaire, then you can be it. Mm -hmm. It's like quantum physics tells me I can be 25 places at the same time on a basketball court as in what you see in your mind, you can hold in your hand because yeah. nothing's solid. So quantum physics says that's a real science. I believe them. Mm -hmm. So if I'm on the basketball court at 25 places, where do I want to be? I want to be over near the goal. I get the ball and I slap it in the net and I'm the hero of the game. So how do I get there? I walk over and I take that fucking position. That's it. 
Because when your mind's set, your mind... I had a conversation back in 1979 with Arnold Schwarzenegger back in England. He came over to do a couple of shows and we picked him up from the airport, stayed in the hotel. Because I didn't understand the guy. I swear to God, he was worse than he is now. I not understand <laughs> nothing he was saying. Mm. But he told me, he talked about the mind and he talked about what you can gain. And he talks about how amazing the mind and the expanse and the physique and the physical... Oh, he talked about all this stuff, man, which blew my head. But he said to me, he said, Rob, I'm, I'm going to accomplish three things in my life. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, first of all, I'm going to become the highest paid actor. Well, I spit my coffee all over the place because the guy can't even talk. <laughs> the guy can't even put a sentence together. Check. Check. Yeah. Then he said, I'm going to marry into the Kennedy family. Well, that was it. We was in hysterics. Mm-hmm. Check. And then he said he was going to become a, a governor of a state, hopefully California. Check. Wow, and no. that's what got me thinking about the mind. What we think we can do and what we're capable of, you can't even see the end points there because yeah. everybody wants to put a cap on themselves. Originally, everyone hates himself. If you're True. listening now, guys, and you don't think you're good enough, you don't think you can achieve, you don't think you can be a success, and you're a little bit depressed and having a problem with drink, let me tell you something, guys. I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there. This is not what we're born. Remember kids, guys, on the kids' playground? What do you want to be, Rob? I want to be an astronaut. What about you? I want to be a fireman. What the fuck happened to them dreams? I'll tell you. Yeah. Society kicked it out of you guys. That's what. Don't be so stupid. You can't go to college. You add the alcoholic brain to that, the remap brain with the trauma, and I ain't going to college, guys, unless something changes. And that's why I specialize in. Hell yeah. I specialize in uh, taking people from almost suicide to building families to getting them an amazing life that they're worth living for today. Hell yeah. And that I take very personally. Let's touch on on the importance of trauma and bringing that about because that is something that, that, that a lot of people just are unwilling to address because a lot of us came from a, a generation or two prior that was a very emotionally immature and it was, uh, get o- just get over it and stuff that thing away. Just put it over there. And that's the oh, worst yeah. shit you can do. I know because that's what even the you know, addiction running in my family – but when traumas got really bad or were reactivated is when I was off to the races. Yeah, and all families do it, you know, whether you live in a billion-dollar house or you live in a caravan, a trailer park, all, everyone does it. They don't want to talk about it, you know. My dad was prime example of doing that. You couldn't speak to him. You couldn't give him a birthday present. He'd go embarrassed, you know. It's like nobody talked about trauma. But I'm telling you now, the gateway drug is trauma. It's not cannabis. It's bullshit. It's trauma. Because trauma builds up and builds up and builds up. And what humans do, they keep it stored, especially in the central nervous system and in the mm. subconscious brain where my disease, disease lives. So if you've ever, if you ever drive down the road and you've hit a deer, but the deer doesn't die, it's not, you know, you're not smashed it to death, it will, it will fly on the ground for a second, it will stand up and it will shake violently mm-hmm. for about 10 seconds. That's the trauma. Mm. And it runs on and gets on with life. We don't do that as human beings. When we get trauma, we stuff it down and we stuff it down. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like a zip file on the computer screen. You put all that bad stuff in there and you forget all about it. And then one day you're bored at home going, oh, what's in there? I can't remember. You click on that zip file and everything comes at you at once and you can't handle it. The brain goes into overload. So the overload comes to three things. You're going to relapse or you're going to go into some sort of breakdown or you're going to commit suicide. They're the three choices. That's all you've got. So if you don't do that, and, and add the alcoholic and addiction to that as well, it's only going to end one way. So we always 
have to go back because where there's alcoholism, there is always trauma. Now, to say that just as a off the cuff and people go, no, I don't think so, that's wrong. Let me explain to you. You have to realize what trauma is, especially with the addicted brain. So here's a, an example for you. Me and my brother are still on the kitchen table. We're not supposed to be on the kitchen table. But we're on the kitchen table with our shoes on. And my mom walks in. And my mom says to Paul, my brother, because this is what he hears and this is what she says. Paul, <laughs> get, get down off that table, you stupid idiot. Get down. Oh, yeah. So he does. What I hear with my remapped, distorted, traumatic brain, get out of that table, you stupid idiot, is what I hear. Mm-hmm. Now, whether she said it or not, because she didn't say it like that, that's what I hear. And this is part of trauma and addiction go hand in hand. Like when I'm taking that stuff, then I'm storing that in the subconscious brain. Right. And then when I come to do anything, like date that girl, go for that job, buy that car or house, that'll come back. You're a piece of shit. You're a waste of time. What you're doing, you, you shouldn't be here. So then the imposter syndrome comes in. Mm-hmm. I've had the imposter syndrome all my life because I went to Oxford University to get my PhD. I also had a second PhD from Southampton University on behavioral science. So when I was at both colleges, uh, I suffered from the, you know, the imposter syndrome, but that comes back because I came from the projects. Mm-hmm. So right. it's very, very important that we do end that device. Some say small T, big T, you know, if you have the alcoholic brain, they're all big T's. Yeah. But if you're just a normal person going around your normal stuff, then you and you don't treat the trauma, then the same thing happens. It's just with alcoholics, they will drink themselves to death rather than face their trauma. Yeah. yeah. A fucking man. I was definitely doing a really good job of it. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's jump back to, uh, you know, talking about your mom, your folks, brother. Uh, let's talk about young Rob growing up. You mentioned the projects and obviously the, the amazing accomplishments of where you attended university. But uh, let's talk about those those things, those traumas that started for you. Well, early, early on, you know, I was just, I mean, there was stuff like my mom left with a babysitter. She used to burn with a cigarette. They didn't find out till years. My mom let the headmaster and choir master of my infant school, ages four till eight, uh, take me on a uh, audition for the Vienna Boys Choir. Turns out he took me to a hotel and abused me and said mm. that it was cancelled. So all that was coming up and never spoken about. In actual fact, I tried to tell my mom and she she slapped me a couple of times and threw me to bed without any any supper kind of thing because that was just too embarrassing and you should never say that. He's a headmaster for goodness sake. So that started, plus I was thrown on stage at the age of nine with my musical family. So I'm playing bass at the age of nine, doing three nights a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in nightclubs and bars. I see a lot of shit going on that I shouldn't see. Sure. Uh, my mom was never home. My dad was always working. He was a normal gas man. He used to work for the gas board. And my mom was a, uh, a cleaner. So that they were never in. And I used to go to school with holes in my shoes and holes in my socks. I remember a mentor of mine once saying, you went to school with cardboard in your shoes and holes in your socks? So I said, yeah. And he said, you know, your mom and dad, when they go to the bar on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, do they have holes in their socks? And it really stuck with me. It's like I've been abandoned and I've been abused growing up and left in dangerous situations. But at the age of nine, I took my first drink that my uncle gave me because I was so nervous at this one gig. It was in Liverpool, England. A lot of people there. The first act, we came off. 
going on for the second half and he gave me this beer and that was it. The whole world just changed right there for me. And that's where I didn't know it then, but that's where my alcoholism started. And it was, it was a friend for me for a long time. I, I dared to do things that wouldn't normally do because of alcohol. I dated the girls that no one else would ask to be dated. I applied for an audition and a bass playing job back in the day when we used to do jingles for radios and TV a place called Strawberry Studios, which was owned by 10CC. I'm not sure they were big over here, but they had huge hits in England. And then I'm sat in 10CC studio and I see a, 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 an ad for a bass player at Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm 15, 16 at the most, guys. And I go, I can do this. So I went down to Abbey Road on my first audition. I had one, one beer for it. I went in because I was nervous. I got that audition. They asked me back for a second audition. They had two beers to go into the second audition. I had seven auditions for that place. I saw I drank seven beers before I went in. I don't remember doing it. I don't remember coming home, traveling back on the train. But a week later, a letter come through the mail that I'd got the position. Oh, shit. So he tells me that alcohol was my only solution to life. Mm-hmm. Now, before I know what day it is, I'm, I'm, I'm playing bass with Elton John Bowie, Freddie Mercury, all them guys. Oh, my God. And I'm snorting so much cocaine and, and alcohol. And, you know, but I've got the Porsche and I put myself through Oxford. And, you know, I was living, I always say, I, I was living the best life I could live, kind of living the dream, you know. But uh, when I was sat in, uh, I think it was Bowie's garden, I think, David Bowie. And uh, we're all there, me, Elton. There was a couple of the guys. There was the bass player f- uh, from Mott the Hoople and Black Sabbath's guitarist was there. And somebody looked around and go, hey, guys, where the fuck did it all go wrong? And they all started laughing, ha, 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 because we're in this $3 million mansion. And I thought that was life for me. I thought that was it. But, you know, shortly after that, uh, it, it's, it started to crumble really badly for me. Oh. It's always um, amazes me, and it's it's funny you mentioned that the that oh this this must work. When I got into radio, the day I met the guy that got me to be an intern, I was telling jokes, and he goes, "You're funny. You want to work in radio?" I said, "You want to buy me another Jack and Coke?" Like when you said that, yeah. I had a total flashback yeah. of that. Oh yeah. So yeah, what I what mean. what led to the downfall? I mean, it sounds you know yes, from the outside it sounds like rock and roll success and excess. Did it, did it just become too much? What what was the point yeah. that, that led to it? Because talking to you, I'm like, there's no fucking way you lived on the streets. Right. That, yeah. That's what everybody says, man. And that's why I love it so much of, you know, being raised to this platform is people go, what do you know, Dr. Rob, like in your big house? You know, I've seen your million dollar house and you've been uh, Ferraris and shit. What do you know? You watch try some homeless and I go, yeah, you want to sit down and we'll talk about that homeless for a second. Uh-huh. And I freak their mind. But the bottom line is I got fired from Abbey Road for being drunk. How can you get yeah. fucking fired? from a music studio for being wasted or high. It's almost impossible, but I couldn't do the gigs, you know, and I couldn't do the sessions and I, I didn't turn up. I mean, when, when Freddie Mercury calls his manager, who calls his the manager from Abbey Road, who calls me and said, Freddie wants your services. That's a fantastic feeling. I was going so to say, I go- have so many questions about Freddie Mercury <laughs> and David Bowie. I oh, love those guys. I love them. You nailed two of oh, our favorites. Gosh. Best guys in the world. Best, be- Freddie Mercury. Bowie's great. He's a great guy. Freddie Mercury, deep, deep, deep guy. Conversations deep into that, me and him. I just got you the know? chills. Yeah. yeah. Elton John was the worst. When he's in a mood, you don't want to go nowhere near that guy. But even uh, he uh, says but... that, though. Even Elton John <laughs> says that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, we went back. We went back. We was, was according to some tracks. <clears throat> and uh, you do like 20 tracks and one or two might be picked for the album. Mm-hmm. You either get a name on the cover or you get like crazy money, like $1,000 an hour. 
everyone chose the thousand. But this night, it, it was storming, crazy storms in England, London, pouring down lightning and thunder. And the generator kept clicking off and the other one kept clicking on, you know, as the power went off. So in the end, they called it and said, let's go back to the hotel. So we went back to the Savoy Hotel. Now, back in the late 70s, the Savoy Hotel was one of the most exclusive hotels in the world. It was a five-star luxury hotel. We was in the penthouse suite. We're going, I can't tell you, the, the paraphernalia, let's say, that was on the tables. Everything of alcohol you can imagine. There's young girls there. It's going to be a great night. There's the bass player. There's the lead player, the original bass player. His manager, somebody else, all in this beautiful hotel room. And I hear Elton John screaming in the next room from his bedroom. This is the kind of world I'm in, right? right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I runs in to see what's going on. Nick, oh my God, he's on the telephone and he's calling reception downstairs. And he's telling them that if they don't stop the rain and the wind, he will never book into this hotel again. Oh my God. Holy shit. That's the world I was in. And it was awesome. <laughs> I freaking loved it. It was awesome, you know? Uh, rock and roll. But when I went to college, <laughs> rock and man, I was, I was driving 911s back in the day, you know? It was just, I, I made girls. I'm not even going to talk about girls. Somebody said once when I was writing my book, how many girls have you, have you dated? And I said, you know, probably 2,000. I'm not sure. There was, there was three or four times a day sometimes with different people. Yeah. You know, because you hang near these guys and you get the cast-offs kind of thing. Sure. I joined the police force after college, got fired for being uh, drunk on duty. That didn't last too long. And then I started a telecom company because I'd worked for this company for a month. They were building... Uh, telemasts for the army and navy for the radio signals huh. and somebody hinted there's going to be a huge global explosion with mobile telephones so like there were radios but you could talk in there so i got in on that i worked for them for a month and thought i could do this on my own so i got some contacts from there and then within a year i was second over a million dollars or a million pounds back in those days mm -hmm. so everyone amazing i got i got a girlfriend Later turned into my wife. We lived on the big house with the Porsches, Bentleys, Rolls Royces. And uh, it looked amazing, guys. I mean, it looked fantastic. Yeah. But inside that house was pure mayhem. Mm -hmm. I swore that if I... I stabbed my wife uh, three times one night because she wouldn't let me finish the bottle of vodka I was drinking. Oh, fuck. And I called the police and the ambulance and she didn't die. But as soon as I heard the sirens in the background, I jumped into a waiting uh, cab and I fled to Spain for three months until she wouldn't press charges. But when I came back, she had my f one and three-year-old, two girls we had, who I'd promised I'd stop drinking for them, but never did. And she she uh, she left. And I was sitting in this big house on my own. I thought, nobody fucking does that to me. Nobody does that to me. Do you know who the hell I am? So I got my attorney and said, get my girls back. Go to court, do whatever you got to do. I've got a 10,000 pound check waiting for you. So the next morning he came back and he had my two girls with all the little bags and everything. So we brought him in. I gave him his check. I sat him down in front of the TV and I turned the TV on about 10 o'clock in the morning. I was so happy that I got my little girls back and I went into the other room in the kitchen and the thought crossed my mind. Wouldn't it be great just to have one beer to celebrate getting oh, yeah. my kids back? Mm -hmm. I remember of the cap three days later when the police forcibly broke the door down and kicked my door open into the big lounge there was vodka bottles all over the place. Uh, the girls had not been fed for two days and not uh -huh. been changed diapers for two days. They nearly died. They kicked me in the survey with unfit father papers. So as I stumbled towards the door, they had my kids in a hand and they gave both of them to mommy. And uh, 
I was crying. I just can't fucking believe I'd done this. The police were crying, the authorities, the child services. My wife was fucking angry at me. And uh, my eldest daughter, age three, was walking down the path and she said three things to me. She said, Daddy, Daddy, please don't go. Mm-hmm. And then further down the path, she says, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And the last thing she said to me as she got to the gate, she kind of turned around and holding on to mommy's hand, she turned around one more time and she says, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. Mm. And I couldn't do it. And six months after that, the car, the car had gone, the cars had gone, the house had gone, the wife had gone, the kids had gone. My medical license were taken off me. Uh, I went to my mom's, from mom's to friends, friends to acquaintances in the part of three weeks. And six months to the day after I said, my youngest daughter said that to me, I was sat in a park bench in the middle of Manchester going, what the fuck just happened? Mm. And I stayed on the streets, living on park benches, under trees, in abandoned buildings for 14 months. And I fought every single day to stay alive. People get stabbed, people get beaten to death. I woke up one morning on a park bench and the guy next to me had been stabbed to death for his sneakers. Oh. I mean, I learned how to really fight on the streets. I mean, you had to fight anyway, but not, not to this horrible way of life was just shocking to me how people could treat other people like this. I saw alcoholics on there. I saw doctors, you know, I saw psychiatrists. I saw, you know, MPs, you know, these big men who would fall into alcoholism and homelessness. And I saw all these men and I swore that if he ever got off the streets and spend the rest of my life finding out what the fuck this alcoholism is all about and how it's ruined so many people's lives. And I was, I was angry. I was angry at the medical fraternities. I was angry at AA because they didn't have the answer, you know. Mm. I'm really angry at them. And then one morning, 2.30 in the morning, I had a spiritual awakening and my life started there. And here I am today, but it's been, you know, before that it was a long and hardest road because my youngest daughter, 33 years on, 30-something years on, is still never speaking to me. Oh, fuck. She's grown, got kids of her own. She never speaks. Now, my eldest still, daughter, still there's a twist this on this. Yeah, still to this day, oh. never spoke to him. She doesn't want to speak to me. She was one when I left. She's always told that dad is an alcoholic, don't go nowhere in him, he's a drunk, and she never has. Mm. But my eldest daughter, Charlotte, she contacted me three years ago on Facebook, and I'd not spoken to her for years and years, obviously, 25, 30 years. I can't remember how long it was. And he said, Dad, I've just seen you on TV. I think you're amazing. I want to see you. So we jumped on the red eye over to England. And uh, I always remember, this was an amazing part, guys. I walked up to the house, me and my current wife, and I'm so scared. And my, my wife's talking to her, you know, because I was so nervous. And I opened the door, and we hugged, and we cried. And God, just thinking about it. So we hugged and cried. And then she said to me, Dad, I've got something to show you. So she walks into the living room and I walked thinking she's going to show me a sofa or something that, you know, but she handed me my three month old granddaughter. And right there and then I'd have been happy to die. But it's a twist on that, guys, because she wanted to do what daddy does. So I sent her back to college to become an NLP counselor. And four weeks ago, she took a position with Rob Kelly Recovery Group in the Manchester office. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. She took her first patient. Yeah. Yeah. So I know. Hold on. Got to rub the chills off here. 
It's crazy. I'm telling you. That, Why no. didn't you tell us we would need tissues for this one, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I don't know, man. More with Dr. Rob Kelly coming your way. We'll talk about how, yes, he kind of had an influence on the Iron Man movie getting made. You'll hear a little bit more about that. Also, some fun random questions. And Dr. Rob Kelly leaves us with words of empowerment for you. So stick around. Some words from our sponsors. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Breaking news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code KDD at Manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. What makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers, you may ask? A new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock created for the people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. And look-wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish, even features a hot foil-stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code KDD. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. As a dad of two that definitely saw my drinking, I know what you mean. Uh, Not to the extreme, but there was, you know, violence in the home and stuff like that yeah. and the, the trauma and the yelling and the yeah destroying that's shit. who we work with today we we if, if an alcoholic comes to us we insist on working on the wife and if there's any teenage kids in the house we need to work with them too yeah it's a family illness but it's also a family you know recovery from everything and my daughter works with their daughters and it's brilliant you know the connection between all these people i have uh, probably 12 people working for me right now we have four different locations around the world uh and I don't know. I just love it, man. I love saving people's lives. And I've kind of got over that, you know, am I this good really? You know, when, when I speak or TV, it's like, oh, my God. I got over that about six months ago. 
That's after 30 years of doing this. <sighs> I got over it six months ago saying, you know something, I can do this. And I know somebody's chosen me to do this. And yes, I am really this good. And no, this isn't ego. That went when they took the kids off me. This is confidence to stand out against anybody. We had a, we had a, we got booked in the local TV studios to a national show on Purdue, the pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. And the agent of Purdue said, don't get this guy on the show. Uh-huh. And the guy booking the show said, yeah, it'll be great. He's always funny and everything. You need to get this guy on. He's crazy. I fucking blitz them guys. I blitzed them and told them how many people have you killed? Why the fuck are you giving these things to young teenagers? Mm-hmm. And the very next day, Purdue Pharmaceuticals went into bankruptcy. Wow. I'm not saying it was all me, but I like to think I had something to do with it. You see, stop fucking with our kids, guys. Yeah. Just because your doctor says you need to take Adderall doesn't mean you need to take Adderall. Get a second opinion. Let's not even talk about half the psychiatrists that I know. They've got a three-minute turnaround. They don't even look at you when you're going to sign a prescription for Adderall or Vyvanse. Yeah. Our kids are not as sick as we think. You know what the concentration of my mind is? When I was a kid, a fucking slap around the neck. That's what I got. I soon concentrated. Pharmaceutical companies run this world. Mm. It's about time somebody stood up and said, no, stop it. Stop it. You're not yeah. killing us anymore. You know? Yeah, we had a discussion with a gentleman that uh, um, they uh, uh, are a treatment facility and do a lot within the community of Fresno. And we got into talking about fentanyl. And I mean, just like fucking Christ, how are kids there was a kid i think he was 12 the other day and somebody it was uh, a friend of his said oh you forgot your i think xanax or something oh my buddy gave me the xanax here take this it wasn't xanax it was just straight fentanyl gone just like that yeah it's crazy they all got well it's when it's for cancer patients what the fuck happened to morphine because that's what they give my granddad and he was okay what happened to morphine when my mom went with, you know, was sick and, you know, you needed stitches and they gave her morphine. We don't need fentanyl. Yeah. We don't need all these crazy man-made fucking drugs to make us feel better. It's all pharmaceutical profits. That's all it sure. is. Mm-hmm. You sure. know? And we're killing our kids and nobody's doing anything about it is it, the, the angry part for me. But, you know, they, I, I'm, I'm too small to make a difference with them guys, but I do make a difference. In the, in the world of recovery. I made my mark when I came to this country. I became a citizen only about six months ago when I thought I was, when I thought I was good enough to fit into you guys, I applied for my citizenship. And people think that's a joke. It wasn't a joke. I treat this country. If England went to war tomorrow, I'm sorry, England, I'm an American. And I take this fucking thing very seriously. When I went to do my oath and everything, I dress in a suit. There's guys there in flip-flops and short. I'm like, you disgusting piece of shit. Like, whoa, carry on, old man. Shut up. <laughs> and I was there taking this thing very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I take American lies very seriously. And I'm pissed off the way they treat our soldiers and the PTSD they have to fucking deal with when they come back. You see, we need someone needs to stand up and say it. And I'm one of the guys, unfortunately, or fortunately. You yeah, know? Yeah. It's like God or somebody has given me all these tools. But really, it's hard to take me out right now, to mm-hmm. be honest. Because I'm too knowledgeable. I have too much experience. I'm very educated. And you never want to step outside with me. You don't <laughs> fucking want to go there. So you've got no choice but to listen to me. And you know what I'm talking about? This stuff, I'm excited. I'm, I'm positive. I'm aggressive. You come to my house one night and come in. You'll see me in the corner with my little reading glasses on. Sat with a cup of cocoa with my wife enjoying a book. You see, this is what I have to put on to get the message and save lives. But me, I'm just that guy who just is humbled enough to be able to do this stuff, you know? Yeah. And they're given a big platform. 
because I'm the only person like every alcoholic and drug addict. Once you get into recovery, we're the only person to get two lives in one lifetime. Yeah. I ain't going to fuck the second one up. I'm going to do everything that I do. I tell people that come here, what do you want to aspire to? I want to be a millionaire. That's a piece of piss. We'll do that straight away over the next six to 12 months. The hard part is staying sane while you get it. Yeah. Because it's not the money. The money is easy. That will always come. You know, if there's a how, the why will always come. Yeah. This is how we're going to do it. The why is there as well. You know, the world is made up of all these crazy uh, stuff around you, the universe, that if you just clicked onto the way it looked and how powerful each and every one of us are. Like if me and anybody, me and you guys, not well, not you guys, you probably know, but me and a guy, a patient, I say to them every time, if we could swap places for five minutes now, all your problems will be over, period. Because you don't see how powerful, you don't see what I see. You don't see the guy that's so intelligent and smart enough and attractive enough to conquer anything in the world. You don't see that. What you see is what's been passed down by your parents. What you see is the trauma from your childhood, the shame, the remorse, the guilt. That's what we carry around with us all the time unless we do our deep work. And that's what we specialize in, our deep work, get that out the way, you know? We, we teach a, a recovery course, so you come in recovery coach, and many people come on and go, okay, let's start the course. And we go, no, the first five weeks is working on you. How the hell can you work with anybody if you're not in the right place yourself? Yeah. Your patience will only go as deep as you're willing to go. You know, and that's what it's about for me. Clear this wreckage of your past, scene of the crime, and give freely and work with people intensely. If I'm driving down the road and I see some old lady at the gas station with 10 kids in the back of the car, squeezing out two gallons of whatever, I'm going to stop and give her $250. If I see somebody here that's sharing about how broken living on the streets, I'm going to give them $250, you know? And, but you must be crazy. When I stop at the signal lights and they're begging for money and I give them $20, $30, my friend said, you must be crazy. You know what they're going to do with that? And I'm like, fuck, I hope so. Because that's what I would do. I'd be getting alcohol and drugs, you know? Because them alcohol and drugs when I was on the street sometimes saved my life. Because I was going into DTs and was going to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this special occasion happened. I want to really get this in. I know we're running short, but oh, we're great. Outside a liquor store, we're outside a liquor store in Manchester, um, and I'm sh I'm shaking, I'm free, I'm, I'm shaking, I'm sweating, my head's banging. It's snowing. I have a pair of shorts on, a vest, and a pair of flip flops in the snow, and I'm sweating. I know that I'm going to go into DTs any second now. I'm probably going to fit and probably die this time because I have so much alcohol in my body. The guy in the news agents opens the door at six. Can't serve alcohol till 10, but he knows me. I put my 10 pound on the counter, guys, and he puts the bottle on the counter. And for whatever reason, this time I did this. <sighs> my headache stopped, my sweating stopped, oh. my shivering stopped. I looked at the bottle, I looked at the shopkeeper, he was staring at me, and I looked back at the bottle and I thought, fuck, it's not the alcohol. And that's what started my studies off. It's not the fucking alcohol, guys. It's not the drugs. Yeah. It's all in here. Yeah. It's not the drinking problem. It's the thinking problem. Yeah. If we can straight out the, the self-sabotaging neural pathways from the self-care, and I'm bought with 80-20, 80 self-sabotaging, 20 self-care. We have to change that through neurolinguistic programming and turn it into an 80%. That is good and 20% self-sabotaging. Because I, I will build things up and smash it down, and I never knew why. Yeah. I would start a great job and fuck it up within three months. 
Like when I first started, it's like, oh my God, you're not supposed to start till 10, Rob. It's only eight. Good job. Oh, Rob, you're supposed to leave at six. It's eight o'clock. Yeah, I know. I just like to work. Give it three months. Where the fuck is Rob? It's 12 o'clock and he's not in. That's what I do. That's the story of my life. And every alcoholic is sooner or later, we're going to self-sabotage unless something changes. Because if nothing changes, guess what? Nothing changes. Uh-huh. And people go on dying on a daily basis. And the figures that we're reporting for alcoholics and alcoholic deaths are not true, guys. They're not true. We did a, a weekend in a hospital, sort of Friday and Saturday, 89% or something. People that came through the door was on alcohol and drugs to excess. So when somebody dies driving to the car for more liquor because he's an alcoholic and his liver's giving up, he put it down as car crash. Don't put it down as alcoholic or alcoholic death and so on and so forth. So we're having distorted figures put through for a start, but we're chipping away. Me and you, like people like you guys, we're chipping away at it, you know, and that's all we can do. Yeah. Well, and you're and you're right because we get we're getting more and more response of people sharing with their AA NA groups, you know, trauma group or whatever it is. Which trauma? I kind of want to want to dive in there with you because you've done the research and you you're living it. What did you learn about trauma through your your you know your last thirty years that maybe you had a misconception about and its impact clearly on addiction, alcoholism. So if we're born with the, let's just talk about the addictive brain for a second. So here's something going to blow your mind with. You can't drink yourself into becoming an alcoholic. It's impossible. Alcoholism and drug addiction are different. Now, they are the addictive mm. brain, but ethanol and alcohol in the alcoholic brain uh, reacts to my brain because I have the alcoholic predisposition brain. Okay, so that's the ethanol that reacts. So I can't drink myself into being an alcoholic. I'm born this way. Now, with drug addicts, you're not born this way, guys, unfortunately. You start on drugs as a kid because it's cool. It turns into a habit. And either over the years you stop or you turn into an addict. So you cross over that line. So there's a difference there. When you take the first drug, you are not doomed. When you take the first drink as an alcoholic, you are doomed from day one. Now, despite how far down the scale you've gone, depends if you can come off. You know, you've got the, the normal drink, a heavy drink, and then you've got the chronic alcoholic. The first two can stop given a good reason to. The third can't. You will carry on and carry on, carry on. So if it's not about the alcohol at that stage, then we go back and look at the trauma. My different ideas was, well, trauma means a, cra- a plane crash or, you know, something crazy like a, a car crash where 10 people dead. That was trauma. It's not. A wrong word said in a conversation that you misheard is trauma. A kid at school saying something to you or the girl turning you down when you ask her to at the prom is trauma especially with the addicted brain, because it's more exaggerated because our central nervous system is jacked up. So here's the brain science. The hypothalamus, which is at the bottom towards the back of the brain, it's our fight or flight part of the brain. It will tell us to eat food and drink water and stuff like that. That's why we never have to teach a baby how to eat food. It always got its mouth down, hand down its mouth when it wants to feed. We don't have to teach it. It just knows. Mm-hmm. The hypothalamus tells us to drink water and eat food. What it tells the alcoholic is to drink alcohol after a certain point when we cross over into chronic alcoholism. So therefore, that's why you see the alcoholic can go days, if not weeks, without water or food. They just want to drink alcohol. Now, that wasn't known until we did our studies on it, huh. some, uh, some great case studies. So when you take that into consideration, when your brain is trying to kill you, then the trauma is 10 times worse. 
See, my brain wants to kill me and make it look like an accident is the layman way of putting it over. So the 24-hour set of that hypothalamus is where 24 hours a day comes from, from 12-step meetings. You see, 12 hour, tw- uh, 24 hours a day does not mean let's not drink today. 24 hours a day from the 12 steps from Bill and Bob wrote it was to enjoy right now at 3.04 my time the day and not to worry about tomorrow, but enjoy and put as much as I can to other people into today. That's what it means. But the trauma is what will kill you mm-hmm. because once we start going into that pitfall of trauma, the smallest, tiniest thing that my brother doesn't care about. He laughs. That's not what mom said. You, that's what I hear. Yeah. So you can't, it's like someone depressing. You can't be depressed. You can. And, and, and the thought pattern's real. In fact, it's so real. If somebody jokes about me, if someone has the power with their words, fancied or real, to kill me, that's what I have to be careful of. So the trauma needs to be really cleaned up. And there's some defense against that, some reactions, some tools, some psychological tricks that you can stop that going because... I'm in California and about nine years ago at this meeting, there's a thousand people there. We know there's a thousand because of the fire hazard. They had to click everybody in this clicker. Mm-hmm. After the meeting, they always tell you to stay two hours to shake everybody's hand. It's custom for that AA group. So after the meeting, they did. And I'm telling you categorically, guys, 999 guys said, I blew it away. I was awesome. I killed it. One guy came up and said, you were shit. You were angry. You're fucking loud. And walked off. Huh. Have a guess who I concentrated on for the next three months and nearly relapsed. Yeah. The one guy. Because that's what alcoholics good. They they cling on to the worst items. Yeah. And they'll run with that, no matter how stupid they sound. <laughs> you know? Oh, I've I've I just I messed all that up. Like there's a thousand people literally stand on the chairs screaming amazing. But I, that one guy said it was terrible. So that must be the truth. That's the alcoholic mind, and that's the disease of addiction as a whole. Yeah. That's part of trauma. That takes me back to somebody telling me that I wasn't good enough and I was never going to amount to anything because nobody's been to college in my family. We lived on the, on the projects. I mean, are you kidding me? You're lucky if you go to secondary school. You, you should get married, get somebody pregnant, work at the local factory mm-hmm. from nine to five and live in that small house. That's what I was programmed at. Mm-hmm. So when I realized, fuck you, I'm not doing this, See, I, I remember me and Gordon Ramsay sat in the house. This, this is just says it all for me. Me and Gordon Ramsay is a good friend of mine. I was sat in his house in London, just outside. And uh, he's, he's doing something, like cooking something. And he said to me, he said, hey, Rob, do you know I'm the best chef in the world? And I got, hell yeah, because you're great at cooking. He, this is what he said. He said, fuck no, because I tell everybody I am. Oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> what? And when he said it again... I, from that day onwards, I started acting that way. In fact, on the back of my business cards, it says the best addictionologist in the world and world is capitalized. It's like, prove me wrong. Prove anybody wrong. You want to be a soccer player, a footballer? You want to make a movie? You want to do this? I've worked with them all. We had, we picked one guy up from LA jail. A mess. He was, it was kind of an A-lister. Then he went down. He did a prison time. They let him out. He did more drugs, got arrested again, took him to prison. The guy's looking at five to 10. I get a call off the agent. You need to come down, Dr. Rob. We need you. So me and my team flew down there. And we saw this guy, sure enough, household name. And uh, the judge says, we will put him into your program, Dr. Kelly. But let me tell you something. If he goes missing, because he was known for running, you'll be back in my courtroom very soon. 
And I thought, fuck that. No, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. So we had a bit of a team meeting. We had our bodyguard minder with us. And uh, yeah, he said, yeah, we'll take him. Don't worry. So as they took the handcuffs off him, my guy handcuffed him. We took him on our plane. We brought him back to the ranch in Dallas. And he stayed with us for three months. He was awesome when he came in because he just wanted to get well. But he said, I'm never going to act again. I'm all done. I'm finished. I'm over. I convinced his brain that he was going to become the best actor in the world. And I kept telling him that. And all the staff, when they passed, said, hey, best actor in the world. How's that half a million dollar check doing? How's that million dollar? How's that 10 million? And we said more and more as we went along. On the, on the uh, 11th, I think, 12th. Yeah, 11th week he was with us. 12th week he went home. There was a knock at the gate or a bell. My chauffeur went down to get it. They came up. They gave my assistant the package. He came into me. He gave me the package. I walked over this guy. I passed it to him. I said, there's mail for you. The guy opened it up and he took this package. He took this script out of a package and he looked at me and he said, oh my God, it's a script for Iron Man. I knew yeah, it. I knew, I knew it. it was Robert, I knew Downey, it was Jr. Robert Downey Jr. When yeah. you were saying that, I Oh, I knew it. Oh, that's crazy. That's oh the power, the power of the mind and power of talk. There was a scientific research done some 30 years ago in England, and they brought scientific research come down to a school. And they said, and this is part of my program. They said, hey, schoolmaster, we have a, a, a test, like a, a test that we give the kids, brand new. No other school's been done it. It'll tell you the five top geniuses in your school. Huh. And the teacher said, yeah, well, we have 50 pupils here. Does it make any difference? This will tell them your five A, A straight A's from today and will become captains of industry, actors, famous ministers. And they said, yeah, we want to know. Hell yeah. So they brought the papers in. Everyone did the paper at the exam. And after then, they brought it all back and they went away and they said, we'll be back tomorrow with your top five students. These are these are kids aged between five and 11. <laughs> mm-hmm. Captains of industry. The guys are going, what the fuck? It's impossible. But the scientific research come back next day and they said, we have your five, five, uh, top five kids. They go, okay, well, let's go. Go on, get ready. Peter. Oh, yeah, 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 Peter. Molly. Molly? Yeah, Molly. Wow. Oh, okay, okay. And they give them the five. And so we're back in 12 months. See how our kids are doing, the top five. Oh, good, good. They went back 12 months later and they said, how's our five kids doing? The headmaster went, just freakingly unbelievable. Straight A students, fantastic scholarships waiting for them when they go through secondary school. That's how good they were. How did you know? How did you know that these kids through that exam was going to excel in school? And the scientific researcher said, well, I've got to tell you the truth, headmaster. The exam was like a farce. We kind of got all the papers and we threw them away when we got back to the lab in the trash and we picked five random names out of your school. And because you fucking treated them different, so they become. Isn't that amazing? Hell yes, it is. So when people around you going, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. I know you can do it. Because that's who I surround myself with. I'm going to do it. It's a done deal already. You know? Yeah. And that's the power of the thought and the power of the word and the power of the mind. So everybody's born with a million dollar mind, guys. Stop hanging around fucking 10 cent minds. Ain't going to work. You're going to dive down to their level. You have a million dollar mind. You sat at home now thinking depressed, then you can never do it. Fucking homelessness. Homelessness. Stabbed his wife. Sold his kids out for alcohol. 
beaten, fucking battered and raped my wife in a blackout. Really? You can do it because I can do it. And this is why I'm here today to lead the way. What, me? Why me? <laughs> why not? Yeah, fuck why not? fucking A right, why not? I got to tell you two exactly. things, Rob. A, I wish we were doing this in person because I'd love to meet you. And B, if I get vacation soon, I almost want to just come to your facility and work on some shit <laughs> that I have yet to work on. This is fucking awesome. I just want you to keep talking. This is just, I, yeah, I'm just like zone in right now. Like I am locked in. Like Just keep going. But uh, damn, this it's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, when when you get on the right track and you meet like-minded people like used to, the conversation turns fucking powerful. Yeah. And the conversation turns believable. And the conversation, you see, when I go to my meeting, I, I we run a meeting around the corner here that we started. When you come to our meeting, it's a 12-step meeting. It's like plugging into the power source. It's like a pet rally. Every conversation with somebody else should be a pet rally. Mm. If they're not walking away, you're going, fuck, wow. You're not having the right conversation with them. Yeah. You know, because this isn't about me. This is about the, this is what I tell people who are sick. It's not about you. Stop being fucking selfish. This is about the hundreds of thousands of people who are waiting to get well from you. So get your shit together. Let's get through this deal and do what God put you on this earth to do or your spiritual guidance or whatever. And let's fucking do it. You're going through this. You see my homelessness, guys. When I look back now, it's like a semester at Harvard. Because you're right. They come to me and go, what do you know? I say, Why? You've never been homeless. Let me sit you down. Let's talk about them homeless dead. What? Wow. Yeah. That's why I went through all that shit. That's why God gave me my granddaughter and my daughter back in my life. That's why my, my dad, I only made my, my men's to my dad four years ago after all this time because we never spoke. Hmm. I swear, I swear this is what happened. I made my amends because my mom had passed on. A week later, he got Alzheimer's. Oh, and he doesn't recognize anybody now, but I got to make my amends. This is the shit that happens around you that we need to start noticing, guys, if you're on the right path. And anybody, unless you've got a huge, huge brain injury, anybody can do this shit. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God, I wish I was that rich or special or famous. Why not? Fuck me. This is, <laughs> this is easy. Yeah. It's easy, man. You know, and just work with people around you. Smile at people. Compliment three people every day. Do your mirror work, which means store that subconscious brain. I love you, Rob. You're amazing, Rob. You're fantastic. Because internal dialogue is what builds me. Yeah. Because when all my haters come up, and there's loads of haters out there, God bless them, my internal dialogue goes, fuck you. I know who I am today. You know? Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, and you, and, you, and you were a doctor doing the same. What should I charge, Rob? My answer was always the same. How much are you worth? What? How much are you worth? Never forget how much your worth is. Because if we had to challenge exact amounts, half a million an hour, I don't know. Because the guys that have got it, I've got it. And the guys that haven't just want to bring you down. Fucking like, everyone wants to bring me down. Look at you, you sold out. Sold out to fucking what? You live in a big house. Fuck you, I lived in a big house before. <laughs> you know? I'm not, I used to hide, I drive a Mercedes McLaren. I used to oh. hide that at the back of the meeting when I went. It's like, I'm not fucking embarrassed about that shit anymore. It's like, this is what you get when you start doing the stuff you're supposed to do. Hell yeah. God gives you all information. You study, you're aggressive, you're laughing, you're nice. You know, men and women are attracted to me. I don't mean sexually, I mean mentally. Mm -hmm. You have this aura when you walk in. I've seen millions of people around the world. And as soon as I see them, I know that they're the guys. You know, they walk different. They talk different. They laugh different. 
You know, these are the guys that are doubling every single day in thousands around the world that are not taking this shit anymore. They're not listening to normal treatment centers who are studying out of books from the fucking 60s. They're talking to the new guys. They're getting excited about life. We can take our life back at last. Most people are saying, well, the doctor said, fuck the doctor, get a second opinion, please. Because your doctor is probably getting a fucking backhand from some pharmaceutical company that wants to give you Vyvanse. So get a second opinion. Don't believe everything they're telling you. Jesus, everyone's on, a, on, on medication these days. Yeah. Stop it. Try and find the real you. And mm. life will be a million times better. And listen, you know, <clears throat> I want to say something out to the guys that are listening. If you're sad at home, and I'm serious, guys, and you're going, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I really, I love this guy always talking. I'm going to give my personal telephone number out right now. Not the reception, not my assistant, not the company. My personal telephone number, because I'm telling you something now, I'm going to give you a five-minute pep talk that will change your fucking life. I guarantee it. 214-600-0210. I'll bring you right, Matt, to my phone. And the first thing I'm going to do is give you some chill pills. <laughs> you're fucking going to get down to it. <laughs> fucking hey, right. I love it. Uh, you and I would get along great because I'm a big car guy, motorsports guy. <laughs> you drop in the McLaren, I'm like, oh, this I know. Is- Rob- I want to hear more Rob- about Freddie Mercury. Rob and I would get along great. Ah, <laughs> uh, fun. We want to have some fun? Yes. Let's have some fun. Let's bullshit. We like to do some uh, random questions, but God, I'm like you. Uh, I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> as, two, as two rock and roll nuts, and I worked in rock radio for 20 years and grew up with wow. a mom that, you know, it was the Beatles, it was Queen. It was Bruce, you know, all that. I could go there forever, but uh, same. Uh, 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 random questions. Um, Give me some random. If you, they were to make a movie about you, who would you cast to play you? Good one, Robert Downey Jr. Oh my Fucking gosh, I right. love it. I swear, when you were telling me that story, I thought Robert Downey. If you were on a deserted island and you had one movie and one music album with you, what would they be? Music album would be Night at the Opera. Ah. by queen i think that's really really amazing um and and what else did you say one movie and uh, one sorry, movie one one movie would have to be goodfellas oh uh-huh. we're the same person <laughs> I, know, I, know. Man, I love it love that movie this guy always always wanted to meet pesci yeah all right pesci de niro i would love to meet uh, anybody yeah. or al pacino yeah. pretty much anyone in a scorsese movie all right um Okay, so next question would be, if you could have dinner with anybody you want, dead or alive, famous, not famous, anybody in the world, who would it be? Hitler. Really? Really? Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Most people are freaked out when I say that. No. No, Uh, I I didn't because I knew you you have a reason. Let's hear it. Yeah. Um, How one person could get so many people to follow them Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. You've seen it when you start on Facebook. Got like two followers for the first 10 years. He got millions of people to follow him. His speeches were so passionate that he got these guys to believe that they were doing the right thing. Yeah, That's why I would like to, I'd like to pick his brains on how, where did he get his passion from? How did he get his belief? Because his belief was phenomenal. What he did was absolutely despicable. Mm-hmm. But the mind frame, because I'm all about the brain, the mindset behind that is how you do that is just crazy because you're talking about you're Justin Bieber's you know the all the top 50 people in in the country right now Hitler was there on his own all these people put together will still not bring the amount of people that he had in a palm of his hand 
Yeah. So you'd want to pick his brain. Yes. Yeah. And yes. it does go, and it's so interesting that you bring that, that's that, that, that power. And it's that, that thing of, uh, that I really have worked on, you know, in my sobriety is the, okay, is this decision I'm making, is this uh, essentially good, evil, selfish, you know, or selfishly unselfish is a term that I've liked where, hey, I'm doing an act of service. And then all of a sudden, wow, Ooh. I feel better about myself because, you know, it, the, the fucking guy, it, was a, it really is a crazy situation. I think Eddie Izzard, yeah. the comedian, put it best. Oh, I could not paint the fucking trees. Forget it. I would go <laughs> kill everybody, you know? That's like, wow. You know? <laughs> uh, car, you, you talk cars, being a car guy. So what got you into cars? I, I just, I don't know. I mean, a friend of mine, Mike Skirker, God bless him, he's passed. But um, he was a working guy like me. He had some scam going on. You know, he was a villain. So was I when I was growing up belonged to a, if anyone's listening, Manchester Quality Street Gang, that was mm. us. Uh, and he bought a 911. And I, I was like, what's so special about this 911? And I drove it. And I was only about 16. No, less than that, I think, 14 maybe. So I kind of liked it then. I was wanting to own a Porsche 911. But right, I mean, right now, it's like, oh, there's a GT uh, 911 GT3 just come available. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> as long as I, buy, I can buy it cash, I'm not going into debt for it, you know. Why wouldn't you? So I got it for a bit, and then I drove it around, and I sold it for like thirty thousand more. And then uh, I got the. Uh, I've had a bunch of cars that I just want. I always wanted a muscle and muscle car. So I got the. Uh, I forget what it was. It was the SS Camaro, is what it was. Mm. Uh, yellow with this the black stripe down. So yeah, I just, I just, I just like. I like speed. Mm. You know, I like to take myself from. I think mine does one to six. I don't know what it, I think it's one to six to one to a hundred in like in two seconds, maybe one point nine. But yeah, I like the speed, I like the power. But I swore to my wife because most of my cars are leased. I swore to my wife, my my, my lease is over at the end of the year, and I swore to him, I'll just get a normal S class or something. So just something that everyone's comfortable with because she's always like <laughs> when she's in the passenger seat. She says, "How the hell do you like this?" You know, and I'm taking a corner at like eighty five or something. Yeah, that yeah, stiff suspension. Oh, I love yeah. it. Hell yeah. I, I just think I, it just it also kind of, I went through a, a long period of trying to prove myself to people, you know? Sure. It's like I bought people, I bought stuff to, you know, look what I've done, look what I've done. Mm-hmm. I suffered a lot from that in, in the early days, especially when I came to America and it kicked. I was only here for like four or five weeks and I got a DVD deal with FMS Productions, uh, which is worth a fortune. And it went around to every prison and institution in the US of A. So it sold millions of copies. And it was just, I was the actor. I didn't actually get money, part of the profits. I got a, a pay to, to record it over five days, which was unbelievable for me. It was like 30 grand or something. So when, when my practice started to, you know, kick off, uh, I always thought, you know, that Porsche 911 would look great downstairs with the other doctor. We had this medical building. But uh, over the years, it's kind of quietened down and quietened down. I used to have five or six, but... Uh, it's like Rolex watches. I used to collect Rolex watches, and now I just have one, and I don't wear designer clothes anymore. Everything had to be Louis Vuitton. Sure. You know, I don't do that anymore. I travel first class still, but I wear baggy shorts and a T-shirt I've had breakfast in. You know, it's just like I'm trying to tone it down, but the, the, the message is still strong. I think, I think to be honest, guys, if I'm going to be real honest here, you need that kind of wealthy swag behind you if, if anyone's going to listen to you yeah. in, in America mm-hmm. and England. You know, you need to have that title. You need to be, 
you know, in the face saying this is this is how it goes because, you know, I tried before when I was in England and nobody listening to you. So you have to have that. And when, you know, on the TV things, I went on Oprah, was it Oprah? I can't remember what it was, but like the, the, this cocky doctor, the controversial doctor from Texas. I love it when I cause that shit. Mm. It's like, at least I've got an audience here to tell people what's going on. Yeah. And that I'm passionate and there's somebody out there fighting for your kids, you know, you're fighting for your husband who's suffering. And again, six and a half thousand patients down and 30 years into this deal. I love it. I love every minute of it. We came down to San Antonio two years ago to kind of pull back a bit and retire. Mm-hmm. after we pulled out the huge offices in Dallas. Uh, but it hasn't worked out that way. You know, like I say before, my, my, my patient load was about four because mm. I'm a concierge doctor. We're, we're sitting at 21 right now. I don't see them all, but it's still 21 on the company. So I have a lot of staff that cover for me, but I just, I love my life today. I, when I was homeless, I used to walk around, walk around outside in the snow, looking into people's houses, especially Christmas Eve. And they'd all be sat around the table and the candles would be on. They'd all be swapping presents and eating food. And uh, I'd not eaten for two days. And uh, I, I used to dream of living, guys. I used to dream of, of that. Just, God, please, just let me have one of those with anybody, any family. So my, my big catchphrase today is I'm living the dream, not dreaming of living. Because that's all I was doing when I was drinking. I was dreaming. Now I live the dream every fucking day. I don't care. I get up in the morning, me and my wife dancing in the bathroom with loud music on, uh-huh. you know, we have no neighbors and we just, you know, I found this soul that connects their minds seven years ago and life is fucking good, man. But you know, you can take all this. I always say this cause I'm so honest about it. You can take all this shit away. Put me in a tent with my two cats, my three English bulldogs, my wife. I'm going to still work with people. Uh-huh. I'm going to still be a, as, as aggressive and passionate about it because it's just shit. That's all it is. Things come and go. I don't get attached to them. Yeah. You know, I think when you live like that, you, well, for me anyway, you kind of crack life. It's like we signed a, we signed a, a, a lease in Dallas in this medical building in Highland Park. It's like the richest place around in Texas. And it was something for like $2 million rent over a long period of time. And uh, my assistant said to me, Rob, not being funny, but how the hell can you go to sleep at night? And I'm like, fuck. What are they going to do to me? Get the fucking office of me. Fuck, I've been homeless. Are you kidding? What are they going to do? Cancel Christmas on me? I don't give a shit. Want to know how I sleep at night? I don't drink coffee after five. That's how. (laughs) Oh, man. It's fucking awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, if it's hot out, I sleep in my underwear. If it's not, I wear pajamas. That's how. There you go. That's the only difference. The only difference. Oh, shit. Uh, you're awesome good sir uh we didn't even get into the book uh you know so we oh, definitely no, got to yeah. do a uh you know hopefully a meet in person and get into some more stuff yeah just the, the guys that are listening for the book it's it's uh, we don't take a penny out of it it all goes back into communities around the world we give children fifty thousand dollars last year away to uh one parent families who want to get back their life back must have a, a child at least one child will pay the pay the rent for a year. We'll buy that car. We'll do whatever we got to do to help you. So the book itself is in Walmart and on Amazon. It's nine ninety nine, I believe. If you can't afford that, call me. I'll send you one free. Uh, but literally, not you know, you always say people say, well, all the profits go into yeah. That means after everyone's been fucking paid, right. there might be two cents left to go into charity. All the proceeds of that book go straight down, calculated into PayPal. Uh, uh, tied to my company that goes out to the community direct so they get the 999 you're spending someone's going to get that 999 
oh, yeah. any expenses, anything like that, we 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 take on board. Mm. You know, we sent a family away to Spain, and we yeah, yeah, we've done loads of things over the years. It's been absolutely, I mean, and I get to do this shit today. You know, hell yeah, I get to do, and I like it. I like going and seeing people that are struggling on the streets and just surprise them with an envelope and walk away before they can thank them. They open us a thousand dollars in there. You know, I love doing stuff like that. Not because, uh, not because of being cocky or trying to show off because I get to do that shit and I can do it today. Yeah, you know, yeah. years Hell ago, yeah. $1 was a lot of money to me. Yeah. It's yeah. funny when you start growing uh, and you got a passion that you don't even look at the money, but pounds become $10, $10 become hundreds. Then you speak in thousands and then you speak in millions. It's crazy. You know, so my big aim is to open a hundred bed free treatment center in San Antonio uh, where people can come in, get detox, get well. And the other side of the premises will be a job center uh, to get you a job, clothes, cars, whatever you want. That's that's my going away gift to, to the world, I think. So I'm kind of saving up for that. Hell yeah. And and that's a fucking amazing that you're doing that, Rob. Because there are so many people that once they they get on the path of being clean and they're serious, they just need a hand up and a chance, yeah. man. Just need a fucking yeah. chance. Because I know I've you know I've been so blessed to have had people that have given me chances. Because I wouldn't be here today working with this fucking awesome guy and talking to you. And I think that's what life's about, you know. When I was on the streets, I dropped down my hands and knees one night, the night I talked about, and I cried, crying from my belly, sobbing like a child. I wasn't crying because I'd lost my kids in my house. I was crying because the first time in my life, I couldn't, I knew, realized I couldn't stop drinking. So I remember looking up to the sky and saying, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. 30 seconds later in the back ends of Manchester, mind you, not in the center streets, a guy walked around the corner with a small Bible in his hand. He said, Rob, he said, buddy, do you want help? And I said, I'm fucking dying of alcoholism, man. I want to commit suicide. I've tried so many times. Took me back to his house. And he said, you can stay with me until you're back on your feet. He said, the only thing you, tonight you've got to come to an AA meeting with me. I fucking hated them meetings, I'm telling you. All war stories and shit. So I went to this one because it was a dry bed. And when I got there, sorry enough, everyone started bragging how much they used to drink. But this guy across, across the way from me, he said, my name's John and I'm a recovered alcoholic fucking hell what the fuck does that mean because i'd lost everything i was angry so i went over and I asked him would he sponsor me and he said no i'll be your spiritual advisor for a period of 12 weeks which huh. i thought was weird yeah so here's my address come around every wednesday or tuesday i can't remember i think it was wednesday at seven o'clock now i had no vehicle so six o'clock i got this book i got a dictionary and i walk an hour to the guy's house we sat there for an hour in his little kitchen little furniture in it went through the book they did a lot of stuff, teach me about philosophy and science and human beings. And I walked back. I did that for 12 weeks every Wednesday. Walked there an hour, sit with him for an hour, walk back for an hour. And he took me through the program and the 12 steps. And he told me that my life would change from tomorrow and that I was a chosen one. And I, I come out of that man's house knowing quite well I'd never drink. I knew that, but I didn't think my life would change because I was giving these guys a spare room. The very next day I got offered a part-time job, which later turned into a full-time job. A week after that, someone gave me a little mini car to get to work and back. So when I got my first paycheck after two weeks, I bought John a little teddy bear and a little card. And I said, thank you for introducing me to God because he took the compulsion to drink away. And I walked back to the man's house. But when I got to the house, there was oh, no lights on or nothing. And I banged on the door and I was so anxious to see John and give him this fucking teddy bear. 
And the next door neighbor on the right hand come out and says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, can you tell me where John's relocated to? And she said, you got the wrong apartment, son. There's been no in that apartment for at least three months that I know of. So I let her close the door and I went around to the other side and I banged on this guy's door. And he came to the door and I said, can you tell me where John's moved to? And he said, John who? I said, John, next door. He said, next door? It's nobody next door for at least a year. That flat's derelict. Nobody's living there. What? I let him close the door and I walked back thinking what's going on. So I went back to the meeting where I met him. And I said to the chairman, this is 13 weeks later, I said to the chairman, remember John that come in? John. I'm like, don't you fucking start. Yeah, John, white beard, white hair. Like, cast really casual. I said I was over near the cough machine speaking to him. And he started to laugh. And I grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and rammed him against the wall and said, don't you ever try and belittle me. He said, Rob, you don't understand. Using the cough machine, speaking to yourself. Never oh. found that guy. And that's my program, is, is what I got taught from him. And that's why it's a 97% guarantee. It's actually 100, but no one's going to believe me. Because this ain't my program, it's his. And it works every fucking time. And I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle happen, where people get up off their deathbeds and they walk and they become somebody. And that's my life today. When it's all said and done, that's my life. That's what I do. I reach down to the gutter and I pass people onto a spiritual guard of whatever it may be as quick as I fucking can. And that's my job done. And I've seen too many miracles for one human being. I know that. I see miracles every day. And, and crazy things, guys, have happened to me. Like before I was supposed to come over here for that two week, my passport ran out five days before that. I freaked the fuck out, went to the passport agency. It's going to be 10 weeks, Rob. Sorry. I was so, I was crying when I got home. Day before I was going to call them to say I can't come, my passport arrived. Four days after I set it. I came over here. I was only here for five weeks. I started vomiting blood. My girlfriend who I'd met over here took me to the hospital because I said I didn't want to go. I've got no insurance and no money. He said, Rob, you have cancer of the esophagus. Are you from here? And I said, no, I'm from England. You've got to call your parents. I called my parents. The doctor and the surgeon called my parents. It's on record back in Dallas, Texas. And he called my parents and told them that I had cancer of the esophagus and the chances of me coming around would be about 10%. And if they had anything about them, they'd say their goodbyes now. And we did. We said our goodbyes. Next thing I knew, I woke up. There's like four suits, six surgeons, 10 fucking other staff and my wife or my girlfriend, she said, just sign the form, Rob. I said, what? Just sign the form, she kept saying. So I signed this form and the doctor looked at me and she said, I don't know how to explain this, but thank you for signing the form and not suing us. But we took you down for a scan one more time before the operation, the cancer had gone. Six months ago from today, I had an esophagus twist. They thought it was a heart attack. They rushed me in. I, the doctors all know me from the TV shows and the podcasts I do. One doctor come in and said, what do you want, Rob? I said, you got to give me like two of the Lord and one of morphine. This pain is crazy. I couldn't have to speak. So he, he gave me the shots and like, I was good. He said, okay, we're going to find out what's causing this, Rob. Don't worry. I said, I'm good. So I'm half awake, you know, just getting the pain away from me. They change over with doctor and nurse. Nurse shouts to him, should I give him two milligrams of the Lord and one milligram of morphine? And what he hears is, did you give him two milligrams of the Lord? So he shouted, yes. So she banged me with another three milligrams. 
somebody going for coffee 20 minutes late. She couldn't get away from a patient. Finds me on my front with my gown wide open. All my ass was showing. So she came in to cover it up and I was cold. My heart stopped beating. She turned me over. She'd been there for two weeks, guys. That's all, a brand new job. And she pounded on my heart as much as she could. And she brought me back to life. And everyone comes screaming in the room. Shit like that happens to me all the time. It's crazy. So I know what I'm meant to be and who I'm meant to be. So when I stand there talking about my big houses and my cars, it's not because I'm showing off, guys. It means you can do this as well, man. You just got to get through this shit. So when I tell that story and then two stories, people are in awe. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to tell you, look, this is how good you can be. This is the setbacks you might get. But believe me, it's only to share that story to somebody else who needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's not about me. I want to. I wish I could sit here guy and say, I'm this fucking clever. I'm not. <laughs> You know, I'm not. Something's driving me. Someone's someone's giving me this power to, to do what I do. Now, can I can I change the spark plug in the car? I have fucking no idea how to do that. <laughs> can I paint a wall without fucking up the carpet? Nope. <laughs> My wife has to get decorators in. She has, we have yard men. We have people, electricity. We have stupid people in that I should do as a man. I can't do. Put a cabinet together. I can't fucking do it. I get frustrated. I get smashed up with a hammer. <laughs> but I can do what I do. Yeah. Do two things. I get people wanting to play guitar. That's the only two things I can do in life. But it's good two things. I was Hell yeah. It's working for you. <laughs> That's too fucking awesome because I was sitting up last night trying to play guitar going, gosh, I just don't have the ears for this. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah. Whatever you tell you've always got other guitar in the background. You always keep it on just in case. Hell yeah. I get girls that I'm talking to, do you know how to fix cars or whatever? I'm like, no. I, I have no fucking idea. Hey, hey that. Mikey, with your last car, who helped you fix it? Yeah, I, Jason. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, and I, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I could do other yeah. shit, but if a car breaks down, I whatever, get somebody to fix it. Exactly. We all got yeah. our shit, exactly. right? We that's all got it. our shit. That's it, man. That's it. Rob, this has been a fucking absolute pleasure. It's really incredible. Oh, the pleasure's been all mine, man. Incredible. I'm telling you. Absolutely awesome. enlightening and got me thinking about all just a shit ton of other stuff that i need to like take a walk after this god yeah think clear the clear the mind yeah. take some more of this in um oh i know and you know this, do you know the crazy stuff about our program it's all done online yeah it, we was the pioneers of telehealth we started telehealth seven years ago but yeah we don't we very rarely unless it's an a-lister we have an a-lister in the house now mm-hmm. that we're treating Mm. Uh, but other than that, 99% of our work is telehealth. Is, uh, through, yeah, that's how powerful the word and the action. That's why I went back for a, a second uh, PhD in behavioral science because I knew there was something different than just sat in front of him talking. You can, I can tell when anybody's lying. I can tell when they're doing, how they're thinking, how they're doing it, when they're sweating, yeah. just all through Zoom. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So when when COVID hit, we we were prepared, man. We were ready to rock and roll with them. Oh yeah. yeah. You know? People want to know more about uh, you know how to get the book, uh, your program, anything that you want to share, please. So uh, Dr. Rob Kelly, spell my name with two B's, R O B B K E L O Y dot com is the website, and uh, just Google Dr. Rob Kelly on any search engine will come up. You'll probably see the book on the website. We talked about that, and. Uh, yeah, uh, Facebook, Dr. Rob Kelly, and other platforms. I'll be there. Just give me a like or a share. And I think I've got three friends left. So if you quit, you'll get on, on accepted as a friend. <laughs> uh, and 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 just just to finish with this, really, peeps who are listening out there, that I, this is Rob from Manchester. 
This is the guy that when was unconscious on the streets, people would spit on. Teenagers would throw uh, full diapers at me when I was unconscious because I couldn't stand up because of alcoholism. It's not the guy you see on TV. It's not the guy, the author. It's not all that guy. That, guy, that helps me promote the message of recovery. So if you sat at home and you really are thinking, I feel like shit, I don't know what to do, call me, man, or text me. You know, I will get back to you. I'm only here to help. I'm really am only here to help. When you call me, man, nobody's ever going to sell you shit on with with that. I'm definitely not going to. I'll direct you to somewhere. But if you're a mom and dad, okay, and your teenage son is going through this, and you don't know where to turn, you call the company, okay, and tell them the doctor Rob sent you, and it's about your son, and you can have communication with my office for the rest of your life no one's ever going to charge you talk to us we'll guide you we'll be there when you're crying because your son's wasted in the other room we just want to help that's all we want to do that's our bottom line so don't be afraid to call guys people call they go oh my god i can't believe it's you this is the drunk that stabbed his fucking wife of course it's me i'm never not going to answer that phone because when i stop doing that i fucking relapse and i'm going to die if i relapse again so we're all in this together, guys. Don't forget that. The only reason I know more than you guys at home is because I'm fucking old. That's the <laughs> only reason. I don't think there's any difference here. There isn't. I've been around a lot longer than you have, and I've read a lot more longer than you. That's all it is. When you're my age, you'll know shit that I know. Believe me, there's nothing special here going on. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Dr. Kelly, thank you, sir. Oh, thank you, man. It's uh, It's been such a pleasure. And you know, it's funny because my, my, my guys get on and go, okay, you've got a couple of caps between this and this. And then I swear we have, uh, <coughs> I put myself on silent money. We have radios throughout the place. And I'm like, cancel the next appointment. I'm going to be on air sometime. <laughs> That's what I said to them. It's like, God, where did them hours go? But nearly two hours. Awesome, man. Awesome. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And no. I want to say something because. Please. Uh, when I, when I, I passed the uh, kitchen some years ago, my, my kitchen in, in, in the office, and, and, and there was a there was a counselor there, and there was a trainee counselor, and the trainee counselor said uh, to the counselor, "Oh my God, did you see what Doctor Rob just did with that guy? He came in, he was suicidal, he went out skipping, and he, he said bye to everybody. It's fucking amazing." And the and the the old uh, counselor said, "Yeah, have you told him that?" Oh, no. No way. I mean, he already knows. We don't know, guys. So I want to say to you two, is I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing what you guys do. Because I'm telling you now, it takes balls. It takes courage to stand up on that platform and do what we do. And we get little thanks for it. So I want to thank you, man. I've been impressed today with the way you handle business. I love you guys' persona. I think you've got hearts of gold. You've got a spirit and you've got a voice that you're using. And God knows how many lives you have saved with the ripple effect, probably millions, guys, with the ripple effect that you guys have. So thank you for doing what you do, guys. Thank you so much. Hmm. Thank, thank you. you. That, yeah, that means that means the world. I didn't think I would cry when I started work today, but you've done it multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Dr. Rob Kelly, Mikey, I don't, uh, wow. Wow is, is exactly right. 
I yeah. I didn't want this conversation to end. <laughs> I wanted to keep talking to him. I want to, you know, I'm going to call him right now. Hang on. Uh, well, he left his number in uh, the podcast in case you missed it, and he means what he says. Uh, shoot him a text. Shoot him a call. If you or someone you know is struggling, there is help out there. Uh, we can connect you with that or maybe another service, hopefully in your area. We can get the research. But uh, Dr. Rob Kelly, a true sign that you can turn it around and not only thrive, but give back. And in that moment of giving back, paying it forward to others, that's where you truly feel empowered and find a real purpose for what you're doing in this thing called life. What other facility gives you your money back if they're unsuccessful? Absolutely. And if you're one of those and you're listening, call us because I want to talk to you as well. Absolutely. Uh, anything else more you want to add, Mr. Naraki? I would say no, I'm going home, but I just, I, I can't get over this interview. Yeah. I really can't. I feel like he, we all connected. Hopefully you guys listening did as well. And I just, I don't know. I'm truly grateful that he took the time to be on here with us. I I don't know what else to say. It was just really an incredible person. Absolutely. Well, speaking of an incredible story of inspiration, don't forget to pick up Carlos Vieira's autobiography, Knocking Doors Down, the antithesis for this podcast. The link is in the description or go to kddmediacompany.com or on Amazon. Just search Knocking Doors Down and you'll find that autobiography. Don't forget all the proceeds, all of them go back to the Carlos Vieira Foundation. So if you buy that book, every single penny of it goes back to helping people in and around the communities here for a great cause. Mikey, are you going home? Yeah, I'm going home. All right, on that note, keep knocking doors down. Fifty-one fifty is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams, and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say "what if." Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being fifty-one fifty is committing to that long, hard road—that road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's fifty-one fifty. If you're living the fifty-one fifty lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments suggestions or correction of errors privacy is of the utmost importance to us for those wishing anonymity people places and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests this website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony no guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content, establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.